Hello and welcome to The Wealth Within Us. I am so fortunate today to have Lori Wagner Storley and she is a rapid transformational therapist certified and she works in the Lehigh Valley, but also she works virtually. So she's going to give us a taste of how to transform your mindset lickety split. And I've already had a session with her. So we'll probably go into that as well. But right now I want Lori to introduce yourself. Hey, everybody. Hey, Michelle, thank you so much for having me on. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah, I um, I am a licensed rapid transformational therapist. I'm a certified hypnotherapist and I um, am a lifelong autodidactic brain science person. I've, I mean, it's, I go down the rabbit hole all day, every day about brain development, brain science, what's going on you know, what kind of new discoveries we're finding in the field of brain science and brain health. It's just my passion. I've always been interested in human behavior, which led me down to the psychology path. Yeah. Um, and you've and had quite a long career history as well. Yeah. I've gone in so many different directions because I have a lot of passions, I guess. I have a lot of interests and I just go for it, whatever they it seem is. They to overlap too. They yeah. seem to overlap, which is even better. Yeah, they're finally starting to. I think in 2020, it was kind of like they were this way, kind of. <laughs> and then I was like, come on, let me get to yes, this. You know, that stuff together. Come on, you can do it. Yes. <laughs> so how did you get started in this field of work because I know you lived in California for a while yeah and how long have you been back here in Pennsylvania so right now we're in Pennsylvania yeah so how long have you been here and sort of what was that path Ooh, that was quite a journey so I was offered a job I was working in multimedia production here in the Lehigh Valley in the 1900s so it was like 1990 something <laughs> at the time was working with a guy who had moved out to California to work for an independent record label. And he sent me a message that said, Wagner, which was my surname back then, Wagner, we need you here in Long Beach, California. And I was like, send me the details. So yeah. warm weather, week, I'm in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. California, been there, love it. You got it. So we packed up everything in like a 1978 Ford Econoline van and really literally <laughs> drove across the country, me and my boyfriend at the time. And that was that. I started working for this independent record label. Um, that lasted for a few months. It was really kind of a crazy experience. And then I ended up working in the commercial industry, the film industry, the voiceover industry. Like, So I took this really wonderful path of like going down the entertainment field I discovered acting I'd always been an actress but like I really did the deep dive into one of my other favorite things which was sketch comedy Ooh. so I took yeah I took classes at Second City and Improv Olympic and just went down that rabbit hole full bore and just did improv for many years love it so much oh, so that so I, I, I talk about that because that is the piece over here that I was trying to make fit with where I am now because that was improv. If anybody has yeah. heard about improv, you can go on TED Talks, TEDx, and, and put in improv and you'll see people who use the uh, rules of improv for science, for sales, for team building, for parenting, for all these kind of things. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. 
So it's, it's, just, not, it's not just to make people laugh. <laughs> it's not. And it's a philosophy. Like one of my teachers, I'm reading his book right now. I should pimp it out. Um, his first gig um, back in the day when he was, you know, bitten by the improv bug was to go around and do dramatic improv in prisons, you know, oh. and it was therapeutic work for the prisoners. And it was really amazing the work they did. So there's the outreach for what improv can do is hmm. all encompassing. Yeah, it sounds like, you know, it. and you're still um, doing it today. I'm still doing it today. I'm teaching it now here in the Lehigh Valley. I have a class called Improv for Everyday Survival. And that's basically take, taking kind of the, I don't know, the intimidating performance part out of it and just saying, let's come here, be present, have fun, play with other people, and just laugh a lot. Be present and have a good time. So you were out there, you were doing improv, and then what happened after you're doing the improv? So in 2008, or 2008, I got married, the bubble burst, mm -hmm. so my job went away. Um, I started, I went back to school to get my um, certification in teaching and child development, and that's led me to, on a whole different path. So while I was in school, I was taking business, psychology, child development. Mm -hmm. And then by 2010, I was pregnant in school. I graduated in 2011 and I wanted to be a stay at home mom. I knew that my whole life, at least for the first two years, that's one yeah. thing I knew about myself. If I had a child, I wanted to be a stay at home mom for those first two years. Those were the most important years of the baby's life, setting, you know, just making it like important and intentional. So that's what I did. And after two years, really literally 22 months, I went to see my professor. And she said, when you're ready to work, find this woman. And I found this woman and she ended up being a mentor of mine in the child development sector. Through that, I discovered another need that really fit in with what I, with my knowledge, you know, like, so parents, new parents were struggling, like what was going on with their kiddos? Like yeah. they didn't understand tantruming. They didn't understand all the things that were happening. I became a parent support provider, just mm -hmm. You know, kind of just to the home. Yeah, it was really like fulfilling to do that. It mattered yeah. so much to me. Finding a niche, really, because parents were struggling. Helping them with, you know, understanding what was happening with their yeah. child. Creating like little adjustments in the way they interacted with their child. And, you know, I saw like these little adjustments had these big outcomes. And I was like, yes. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. I want to keep yeah. doing it. Exactly. And it is, it is a struggle. I mean, if you've had kids and I have twins, so yeah. it definitely could be a struggle at times. Sometimes you want to definitely rip a hair or two out, uh, maybe on both my head and their head, but yeah. <laughs> but and sometimes nice. it's hard for us as adults to really see them in their yes. development stage and to understand that up until age three, they don't even have this prefrontal cortex mm -hmm. activity going on. So they can't reason <laughs> like a kid who's freaking out and having a tantrum is just having an overwhelming you know an overwhelming emotional experience mm -hmm. which we all have on every day yes. we have driving in traffic I still get them but yes. it's yeah but it's kind of like 
they don't know how to regulate that yet. The the first language they come in with is emotion. Mm -hmm. They cry, they get their need met, period. So then we get upset with them for crying and it's like there's their, it's their language. Yeah. I want to cry and get my needs met. That doesn't happen very often. Hmm. Well, (laughs) that kind of folds nicely into like the hypnotherapy. Like as we're growing up as kids, we're told not to cry. I know in my own childhood experience, I was told stop crying or I'll give you something Mm -hmm. to cry about. And it never made sense to me because I was already crying. Like I'm like, what do you mean yeah. give me something to cry about? I'm already crying. Like, I don't understand. Yeah. And then no, like, well, what are you, what are you going to do? Cause I'm already so upset. Now you're going to make it worse. Ooh, and now I'm afraid. I better stop. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm afraid. Yeah. So, you it's know, crazy thinking, all this stuff that gets programmed into us. So you're doing this kind of work. Then where did that lead to? Because I'm already seeing how all of this ties together. So yeah, but I'll let it, you I, <laughs> it's exactly how, so there was two, there's two factors. So one was seeing that parents had, you know, triggers that would come up. So when the child would cry, they would get really upset and worked up and they would get angry. So the zero to 60 and identifying those triggers, triggers are basically places in our psyche that need healing. Okay. Triggers come from something, something that happened maybe in our own childhood. Um, And so we don't always understand that, or we don't know how to really identify that. Well, I learned through rapid transformational therapy, how to do that, how to help parents who are struggling with their triggers around their kid to identify and move through those triggers, basically get them out of their psyche and plant better things in their place. Uninstall an old bad program because a lot of times it it comes, it comes innocently. So there's no like, let's go back and talk about your mother and how she treated you. It's not like that. We can't go, we can't, we don't want to live in like punishment in a putative space where that person or live in the past either. Yeah. And like in that victimhood, that it doesn't yeah. it doesn't move us forward like yeah some things shouldn't have happened the way they did but how do we move forward from that knowledge you know okay that happened how do I feel from it and move forward and become a more you know um fulfilled and you know um intentional human being so I'm not taking that yeah. And it almost sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, that I think it's up till seven that we're sort of still in this learning process. So if we're taking all those thoughts and things that are around us and we're taking all that in and we don't have the developmental capability to process those, then whatever it was that we're taking in, we're now taking it in in whatever context it was at that time. And now as an adult or teenager or midlife, wherever you are, those things are still playing out that don't even mean anything. So to say, I don't want to say don't mean anything, but they don't really have any value to our lives. And they're mostly not truths. Is that correct? That is correct. And it's correct on so many levels. And it, and it is right from from the uh, age of birth to about seven or eight years old, we're in what's called the theta state. We're learning. We're learning 
it's like being in the subconscious. So we're downloading okay. all of these programs of all this information that, you know, we see our parents are our first teachers. So whatever they're doing, we're recording and we're saying, okay, that's what I should do. That's how I should be, you know? And when we get in situations that are beyond our, uh, what we have the ability to cope with, we use whatever we, whatever tools we have. You know, um, so those tools were in a initiated at a developmental stage of say five years old, seven years old. Those tools become the tools we use going forward. How much you know, of those those things that were coming in do you think came out of fight or flight? I'm just as I was I'm listening, I'm thinking probably a lot of them came out of fight or flight because we didn't have a whole background of knowledge and experience to deal with them. I think that's, you hit the nail on the head. That's where I like kind of, we, we are evolving in our learning, our knowledge, our abilities. And I think really that's, that's really the key is that we can't blame our parents. They did the best they could with the yeah. tools they had available to them then. Now we have the internet, we can explore, we can, you know, look around for different ways of parenting that resonates with us. You know, okay. what kind of parenting that feels good to me? And that's the parenting I can use on my kiddo. But there's always still going to be that imprint from mm -hmm. the time I was parented, zero to seven, that's still going to be part of my framework. So that's yeah. knowing that parents can do something about it. Mm -hmm. So they can take that programming and kind of refine it upgrade it okay in hypnotherapy and on an individual basis like in my own journey I look at the sort of subconscious tape reels that I'm running in my head mm. and once they sort of come once they come to surface and I think that that's what I really liked about the session I had with you is that once they come to surface you can say yeah that doesn't even make sense and it yeah. was funny because the day after I woke up in the morning and I kind of had a reoccurring thought popped up and I looked at it in a completely different way and really said to myself, huh, like how have I been running on it? It doesn't even make sense it's in my now adult logical mind. But I think where you come in that's so powerful for people is until it was brought into my awareness, I, I just kept running off that that nonsense, that 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 bad tape reel or whatever you want to call it. Well, and that's not, I mean, that's again, that's another thing that happens to us as humans, you know, like there's, you know, we use 5% of our conscious, our brain for our conscious mind, which is running 60 to 70,000 thoughts a day. And most of those thoughts are the same thoughts every day. So that thought has been coming through probably for a really long time yes. and you didn't really see it, but now that you see it in a different light, just mm -hmm. that small, like little adjustment that we made in yeah. your session, all of a sudden you see things differently and you can make the change live and in your life you can just go oh yeah that no yeah because it doesn't make sense anymore why would it, I does, that? it doesn't make sense anymore because I you know it's something that as a five-year-old it made sense and it worked and I kept using it all this time yeah but I need I can see that that doesn't work I need a more mature 
way of doing it, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and in a way that fosters my growth along the way and my personal wealth, whatever that means to me. And yeah. just sort of getting grips over control of my life. I, I guess you would say, you know, I've been doing all this and I've been doing it this way. And now I'm bringing in these new tools to say, Hey, wait a minute, stop. Look at what you're doing. And until you become aware of that, because I kind of definitely feel that once you become aware of something, it's really hard to become unaware of it. So now you can release it, let it go, be like, okay, logically, this doesn't serve me. So that's crazy. And I'm gonna stop thinking that way. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, one thing that you and I talked about was like abundance healing, because mm -hmm. we need to heal around abundance. We're, yes. We were brought up in this scarcity mindset. I know that so I, many people can relate to this. And that's why I'm so glad that you're talking about it, because it's definitely one of my themes in my life. And yeah. I know it's pervasive in the world right now. Yeah, one of the questionnaires I like to hand out to people is um, the sayings that we've heard, I heard as a child, and I know other people have heard as a child, money doesn't grow on trees, no. um, you know, uh, money is the root of all evil, so, you know, throw throw any of them in there. That yeah, my, my dad, his, everybody called my dad Rock, Rocky, so yeah. he, his famous saying was, I'm Rock, not Rockefeller. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I, I yeah. I mean, how many times have you heard a parent or somebody around you say, we can't afford that? Mm -hmm. I mean, so those things are kind of written not only in our initial programming from the zero to yeah. seven, but played out throughout the rest of our lives. Because then as you become a working adult, your mindset is, you know, wrapped around like what you can afford and what you can't afford it. So you're so focused on which what wraps you around your self-worth because yeah. not only what can I afford and what I can I afford, but what am I worthy of? What am I not worthy of? What am I yeah. worth? What am I, what's, what am I not worth? So I think it kind of has this perpetuating cycle. It's all intertwined. And that's another conversation we had about like what, you know, charting what your work, what your work is worth. So you're an independent um, you have your own business, as do I. Um, we're kind of in the same field in our side hustle of marketing. Yeah. And um, one of the things that really empowered me was charging my rate and having somebody say, no, I can't afford that. And me being, that's right, you can't. That's right. Yeah. And it's okay that you can't. Yes. It's okay yeah. that you can't afford my rate. Somebody will be able to. But it's a hard thing to explain like my brother it has is. business too and he has struggled with the money and the abundance piece with scarcity and he believes that every person wants to talk him down from his right and it angers him and I'm like those aren't your people just move on and yeah. he doesn't he can't get his head around that he's like well what am I supposed to do? Not have any clients? Like, yeah, you know, no. And it is hard. And then you're like, but I want to help these people. And it's like, yeah, you get caught in this whole mind gave up, but I want to help them and they deserve it too. And it's like, but I've had all this experience and training and knowledge and expertise and I, I need to charge what I'm worth as well. So I'm worth it too. It's like, yes, they're worth it too. And they're going to find the right person for them. And I'm going to find the right person for me. 
That's right. And it's okay to say a person's not your person. So when I said that's right, well, then you can't afford it. It's because in your mind, there's something telling you that you can't afford to do something for yourself. Yeah. You're not I've worried. definitely been in positions where I've afforded things that I thought I couldn't afford. And the money, then the money came. Like if it was something I really wanted. It was the money came. And that was one of the other topics in our session was my just in time uh, reel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I used to. That, have... That's the greatest hit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It was. Nice. It's like Michelle's greatest hits. Just in time. Just in time. Everything comes just in, just time. in time. Anyway. Well, there's abundance in that. At least it's not scarcity. It's yes. at least it's not yes. enough. Do you know what I mean? Not enoughness mm -hmm. keeps you so uh, you know, like it, it can lead to depression, it can lead to anxiety. Yes. Just in time, there's a little bit of faith behind that. Like, I know it always comes just in time. It's just the right amount and it's just in time. But you and I both were talking about, yeah. we want to move into abundance. We're ready. Exactly. We're ready yeah. to do it. And that's just where in time going. is a form of scarcity as well. And it's a form mm -hmm. that causes stress and anxiety. And yeah. it doesn't allow you to do things spontaneously. And like, there's a whole thing wrapped around that as well. So, you know, it's, it, it's, it's progress for me. It's healing that onion that, that, onion. that yeah. you want to just cry every time a layer comes off you know that's probably why onions make you cry I don't know I just thought <laughs> so <laughs> awesome I like that analogy <laughs> that's why onions make you <laughs> bye bye layer <laughs> <laughs> <They're crying. laughs> yeah <laughs> it's so true so yeah abundance is just a mindset issue I mean I say just and I don't mean to minimize it but we have been programmed to not believe in abundance mm -hmm. as a society. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole, but if you look back in time and realize that um, it's important for us to be controllable and the way they can, we are controllable is through money. And it's not a conspiracy yeah. theory. You can see it. I honestly think that it's a rabbit hole worth going down because it actually gets to the root cause. So if you say, why do I have this scarcity mentality? Why do I think money doesn't grow and choose? Why, 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 why? Why do some people have so much and some people have so little? I think going down those rabbit holes really gets you down to the root of it. Now, I think the part to be clear about is like, okay, well, you can get to the root of it, but in the end, what are you going to do about it? It's yeah. still your free will. It's still your action that either you need to change those tapes. You need to do something about those. But mm -hmm. I do think it is worthwhile going down that rabbit hole because I think as you and I know, it's sort of free. It's freeing because you're like, oh, this is the truth about this. It wasn't me. It was a lie that I was bringing. Yeah, it wasn't. It was these influences on me that I took in as my own and now became part of my story that weren't part of my story. Yeah. You again, hit the nail on the head as like we let us letting things become part of our story. Even our memories are diluted over time. So what yes. happened to us, like a traumatic event or something that happened to us when we were little, mm -hmm it gets continuously reframed over time to the yes. point where we're in our fifties and the memory we have of that event is probably not even close to what really actually it's, it's like our very own whisper down the alley. It really is. <laughs> yes. To our, throughout our psyche and yes. our 
cute, you know? We're down the alley at 10 and 15 and 20, and now I'm at like yeah. 50, and it's like, dang, that's a long alley. <laughs> yeah, because like any, all those studies tell you about memory. Like if you're if if you're in this scene of an accident and you're reporting back what you saw, it's with 10% at best accuracy. But you feel like, no, no, it's 100%. I know that guy was wearing a blue shirt. I know he had brown glasses. Like, really though? Like yeah. they've done study after study after study, you know, guys in lineups, like people come in and they try to get like five guys that look the same. And it's hard for first to, for people to really yeah, mm, focus ooh. in. Yeah. Or really remember accurate with accuracy. Yeah. So. And, it, and it's funny <laughs> that you're saying that because I remember I was always not very good at multiple choice mm. tests. Cause I was like, I don't know in my head, I could make a reason for every one of those answers to be right. Oh, so totally. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Don't even get me on started on testing. <laughs> I know. That's a, another rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, yeah but as far as the stories that were told back to that and how we frame them and how we remember them, I, I mean, wow, our brain really kind of, yeah, explain that part. Cause like now that I'm, we're talking about it, I'm like, so how does our brain handle that? Like what, what, what's going on inside of there? What's going on in there? It's processing. So like a computer system. So when this happens, if I do this, I'm okay. Okay. When this happens to me, I'm scared, fight or flight. And I do this. I don't get hurt. I'm safe. I'm protected. So in a session, we realized that a lot of times things came in to help us. We did these practices mm -hmm. To protect us to keep us safe and again yeah. it's like you know um you can go deep and really see that like some people who have a lot of weight to lose uh, the weight was can be traced all the way back to a time when they were really little and they were either touched inappropriately or something and so they made themselves bigger and bigger and bigger so that they weren't they didn't draw that kind of attention to themselves mm -hmm. they did because it wasn't safe so when yeah. they didn't look pretty, nobody bothered them. And yeah. there's, I mean, these are true stories. And then there's, um, you know, stories that go back to like eating challenges. Eating challenges happen because of, you know, something innocent. Like every time you were sad, you, you got taken out for ice cream. And so as you get older, the way you cope with sad feelings is you go get ice cream mm -hmm. or you eat a bucket of ice cream. And a lot of yeah. us, you know, we, we don't have control to yeah around that. You know what I mean? We don't have. And the, and the thing is, is it's so individualized that sometimes you just can't read a book and be like, Oh, that's me because you know, it might not be you, like you have your own thing with whatever the action is or the thing that you're trying to let go of is. So I think that's why it's super helpful to do work like this with you to sort of uncover those and then let them go. It's not uncovering them. And I'm sure you would stress this as well. It's not uncovering them to dwell on them. It's uncovering these things to move forward look at it for what it is, rationalize it out and let it go. Like love it and yeah. let it go. Like, okay, love you're no longer servicing me. Thank you for, thank you for your service. Um, yeah. Now I'm, it's time for me to move on. <laughs> yeah. And kind of do a reframe in adulthood of, oh, wow. That was keeping me safe for a really long time. I understand why I did that. Yeah. I understand yeah. how it's impacting my life now in a negative way. And I don't want to do that anymore. 
You know, yeah. I can do other things because I'm older now and I understand yeah. it. You know, I have more coping skills now. I can, you know. Yeah, have more life experience yeah. and depending on your path, like, like I've been down this sort of self-help and energy work and releasing things for a long time. So, you know, I'm deep in that onion. <laughs> but, yeah. but that onion is like gigantic. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I still got lots of layers to peel off, but definitely going to like you and other things that I've done help remove those layers so much faster. And that's what we want, right? We want to let go of these things and become who we're supposed to be and let go of all this stuff to, to clear our brain so we can focus and not, I, I thought it was interesting what you were saying earlier, how you were saying all these things that we talk to ourselves about and tell us and these conversations that go on in our head. It's, it's so crazy how we justify things. It really is. It's crazy how we justify things and it's crazy how abusive we can be to ourselves. Yeah. We would never let anybody say the things to us that we say to ourselves. Mm -hmm. It's really heartbreaking sometimes. And so I've been there. Yeah, it's awful. Yeah, I encourage some of my patients to get a book, a journal, or I provide them in sessions with, you know, I give I give some of my clients a journal. And if they're dealing with those looping negative thoughts, and mm -hmm. I encourage them to write the negative thought on one side and write the uh, reframe on the other side, the actual truth, yeah. because you believe a lie for as long as there's nothing countering it. But once you counter it with a truth, the lie doesn't have any power over you. Anymore. Yeah. It's amazing how like that, that truth just, it blows that lie right out of the water. Right and on. it is freeing. And I say this all the time, like the truth will set you free. And I believe that in every sense of those words, I truly, truly believe that. Yeah, it really is. And like you said, like just realizing like, oh, I was doing that. I didn't even realize I was doing mm -hmm. that. It wasn't anything I did. I just walked you back yeah. to a place in your mind where something started. You know, and we get into the subconscious aspects. Like mm -hmm. I told you, I did a session with my mom, you know, when I was on my learning journey of this and she went back to a memory when she was two years old, like with highly descriptive detail that she'd never mentioned before to me. She didn't even remember in her conscious mind, this memory. And I was like, wow, that's so crazy. <laughs> and I, in one of my times that I went back, I had, my mom had a child before me and she was, um, her brain wasn't fully developed. Mm -hmm. And so she required a lot of care and emotional like intensity from my mom. And then the doctor, for some reason, told my dad to get her pregnant again as quickly as possible, which then came me, you know? So I'm like, dad, I'm here to fix everybody. <laughs> Yay! You know, I was the fixer baby. That's what I learned about myself in therapy. I was the fixer baby. So I came to fix whatever was going on with my mom having a child that wasn't fully developed. Okay. Um, and I went back into, in a session to a time when I was in a bouncer. I was little okay. and I was in another room and my big sister and my mom were in the other room and I couldn't get my mom's attention because she was dealing with my older sister. And so I learned, I, it was like to see myself through my baby eyes and see mm -hmm. that 
I had to take care of myself in a way. So yeah. that has been me my whole life. I don't rely on anybody. I got it. I don't rely on other people. I, I do it myself, which is kind of um, a disability in a way, because I don't encourage help from other people. Yeah, I see that. And so learning that about myself was hugely awakening, you know, like going, oh, okay, nothing. It wasn't like anything bad happened to me. It was just my mom was dealing with something that was beyond what she was like, I think, yeah, 17. And and I think even as adult, things like no, oh, that, yeah. yeah. And I think even as an adult, those things play out. And as, you know, society sort of looks on it, like you're weak or you can't do this. And I think especially as women, we get that even in a greater fold, but, yeah. but yeah, it's like, no, I can do this. I can do it myself. And I've definitely struggled down those paths, but then eventually realized that, man, I'm burning myself out. And I realized that I don't want to learn all this other stuff. So I am just going to, you know, enlist the help of other people. I'm even on my own journey of sort of letting go of things that are no longer serving me and my own wealth journey that, you know, I am currently on to get where I want to get. If I mm -hmm. want to get there, I personally, I am 50 and I want to get there now because I look at yeah. it like I still got half of my life to live and I want to live the rest of that life in abundance. So I'm going to throw everything I can think of within my means and my awareness to get there. And yeah. that's why like, I've come to see you and I've done some other things and, and I love sharing this. So other people that feel the same way that they can do this themselves. I mean, how hard is it to bring up these memories by yourself. I mean, I would imagine you could probably do it in meditation, but I mean, I just think the help of someone like you is so critical if you're trying to fast forward that journey. <laughs> yeah, I think it's it's not really that easy to do yourself. And I can tell you because I, you know, I, I can't do it on myself. Yeah. And I know how to do it. So it's, it's something that, with the help of somebody who's guiding you, who doesn't have any kind of agenda on what they're looking for, because when you do it yourself, you're looking for something and you're not going to exactly. find it that way. It's like, and I think even in meditation, we still kind of go in with a little bit of a bias and I'm not going to lie. I've had a lot of profound meditations as well. Sure. And yeah. I, I mean, I still do, but I think you're only going to get to such a level because it's still you and all your biases to a certain yeah. extent. You can only, I think, let go of so much. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to, I want to touch on that meditation oh, good. because I think a lot of people struggle with meditation because mm. they think it's supposed to be oh, yum, yum, <laughs> yum. and it's like, no, I mean, meditative practice could be like walking on a treadmill where you zone out, you're fully present, but like, you know, your brain just goes into this kind of creative state where you're running yeah. all this stuff in your mind and all the possibilities and all the dreams say daydreaming is a state of meditation. Mm. It's a way of creating a life for yourself in your in a meditative state that you can manifest. What prevents us from manifesting our daydreams sometimes is that negative programming. So like in your meditative state, you're seeing yourself in that mansion or by the beach and you're like, oh, yeah. oh, this is the best. But then you come out of it. Or you'll even back off of a daydream sometimes because you're like, oh, I don't want to get my hopes up. 
Mm-hmm. I don't want to, I don't want to count. I, wa- I don't want to daydream something that's bigger than I can actually do. Yeah. Uh, or that'll you know. never happen to me. That's yeah. for people. That's a big one. I used to say to myself. Yeah. Yeah. It's not available to me. I don't have enough. And, you know, like we have all of these kind of reasons why we can't do it. And our minds are always processing constantly. Okay, how can I get enough money to do this? How can I get enough money to do this? But that's in our conscious mind. And so what happens in our conscious mind is we'll go, well, okay, here's how much I make in my job. Here's how much I need to make to get this. Oh my God, that's such a huge difference. But if we just stop all of that and we say, I want to live on the beach for the rest of my life. And then just trust that that's gonna happen it will happen because our subconscious mind is basically a robot doing exactly what we tell it. We're writing the program. So if we're telling it, you're never going to have enough money to do that. It's like, you're you're right. I'm never going to have enough money to do that. It's going to run that program. But once you tell it something different, it, yep, I'm going to have an, I'm going to have so much money. I'm going to invite all my friends to the beach. And that's really that simple, but, and then that triggers and you and I talk about, then that triggers the second piece of that, which is the inspired action, which is the most profound piece, because I think anybody can sit back and to a certain extent, believe that it can be yours. Imagine it happening. I Mm -hmm. think the second step is the hardest. It's that inspired action. And I love that. It's not just action because we can be taking action that is getting us nowhere. So I you like can the way feel that, that. It, the inspired. Yes. Yeah. You can Absolutely. feel it in your body when you're like fighting, you're pushing yeah. against something that's not moving. Right. That's when you stop, mm-hmm. you know, like we, it's not in our culture to stop, to not be moving, to not yes. be working hard. So we're, it, it's like, and we don't like to fail. Yes. We don't like to be wrong. We don't like to fail. We certainly don't like to admit when we fail or are wrong. So like, I think that's other programming that sort of halts that inspired action and that inspired action now just goes away yeah and what's funny about like not you know saying we don't like to fail is that you absolutely have to fail in order to succeed it is part of the formula it is absolutely part of the formula so like when we try to go you know as an independent business owner when you first try it takes a while to get your client base happening and you have dips ebbs and flows in it in in the business so if you don't have the tenacity to know in your whole self that this is what i want to do and this is what i'm going to do and keep that persisting, you're never going to make it. Yeah. Because when you're in one of those dips or those, you know, ebbs, it's good. You're going to yes. doubt yourself right out of it, you know? Yeah. And it, it is important not only to fail, but to, to look at the failure and see why you failed. And probably even more importantly is not be afraid to try again. Yeah. If you just stay in the failure, then that just becomes another loop. Yeah, it's and funny. I'm sure we're like, creating loops all day long. I mean, now that we I'm are, excited, it's like, oh my God, got lots of work to do. <laughs> uh, we absolutely are. And here's a funny example I gave is that my daughter, who's 11, was learning how to ride a bike and she didn't want to get on the bike and try because she was afraid she was going to fall off. I uh-huh. said, So, how are you going to learn? She goes, I don't know. And so it took her a really long time to get her head around that. And uh-huh. like the main thing was she didn't want to fall off, she didn't want to fall. So like she had to talk to her brain and get it to a point where it was like, okay, I'm going to get on the bike and I'm going to ride, but I'm not going to fall. 
And she trained her brain. And I swear to God, she got on the bike and she rode it. She didn't fall, but she figured it out. But my daughter and we all are, you know, as human beings who we are, my daughter gets to a point and she'll get really, really angry and frustrated. And then I'm like, take a break and come back to it. We were talking yeah. about that, taking a yeah. break and coming back to it with fresh eyes. Mm -hmm. She did it. Yeah. Like she was doing it her whole life. So it's like, wow, like we are capable of mm. so much. You and know? I think when we take that pause, consciously and subconsciously, we're doing the thing. <clears throat> we're solving the problem. We're pedaling the bike so we're not falling. So during that break, and I 100% agree with you, I think those breaks are one of the most important things because you can oversee something and now you're seeing nothing. Yeah. And all you see is the problem. You don't see any other way around it. So when you step back with those fresh eyes, your mind's actually even working on it. We don't realize it sometimes, yeah. but you're subconsciously working that thing out. It, it didn't stop. You didn't actually stop. Well, while like on the surface, it's like, well, I stopped working on that for the moment. Well, you really didn't because during that whole time, your subconscious mind has been sort of taking over that problem. And now your conscious mind is being freed up to do other things. That's right. To move you around the world. So that's yeah. like, that's really the key. So 95% of our brain activity is happening in the subconscious mind. Like really think about that. The 5% is like, you know, all, all of the, you know, like the talking that I'm doing right now yes. is part of 5% and the, you know, the being as present as much as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, part of it, you know, looking out for things that can hurt me and, yes. you know, getting from one place to another. And, you know, then there's the 95% that's like helping my body breathe, pumping my heart, doing all those things we don't think about, right? Mm -hmm. You know, just sniffing like I just did now. So a lot of processing is happening every single day. They say, if you want to have good sleep, then you plan for it the beginning of, you know, when you wake up, you plan okay. for the sleep the next night. Okay. Oh. You're not going to catch up on sleep. So this is my sleep therapy practice. So I, if I want to have a good night of sleep, I start from the minute I wake up and I do the right things for my body that don't trigger wake, okay. you know, wake state. And when I fall asleep, I do something like you and I talked about like meditation before I go to sleep, yeah. thinking of something positive. Yeah. And then while I'm sleeping, my brain isn't off. It's working. It's processing all the events of the day, everything that happened that day is going on in the background and processing. So I wake up in the morning having processed what went on the day before. But the reason we meditate before we go to sleep is we blank out our minds. So we're not thinking of something negative. And then that's what our brain is going to focus on. We don't want our brain to focus on something negative. We want no. to process what's best for us. Yeah. And but I often like, yeah. you know, like you said, like with gratitude and journaling, or it's like, mm. what was the best thing that happened today or always ending the day on a positive note. So you aren't going into that sleep pattern mm. and, or not sleeping at all. I mean, I know so many people that have such restless sleep or they don't sleep well. Um, it's, it's, it's so common. Yeah. Some of it's physiological. Mm. Some of it you can do, there's hacks that you can do in your body to help mm. your body want to sleep better. You know, they used to say that about sleep training with kiddos. That's something I used to do is too, is like, um, your body is our a naturally tuned system. It does need to sleep and it will sleep when it, it's meant to. So like our job as say parents, caregivers, or what, or people, uh, for our own bodies mm. is to set ourselves up for success. 
So when I set my kid, when I was, you know, training my kid in her sleep cycle in the beginning, the only thing I could do is set her up for success, have a ritual every night that made her sleep. My kid was this kid. Every night before bed, she would jump up and down on the bed, blah, 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 getting all her energy out. And I'm like, okay, this is my kid. Okay. And I would have to, you know, like give her limits. We call them limits and say, okay, you can do that for five more minutes. And then we're going to calm our bodies down. Mm. Just like giving her predictive statements that she can understand and, you know, that are age appropriate, calm your body down. It's time for sleep and your body needs to calm itself down. And so as adults, that really is what we need to do for ourselves, you know, like, I don't calm my body down by having a cup of coffee at <laughs> no. six o'clock at night. You know what I mean? It's just not going to work. Yeah. Or you don't start a project shortly before you're going to bed or try to solve that problem from the day that oh, yeah. now you're up until 2 a.m. still frustrated. Yeah. I, I even said this like to you is that at 830, my brain, I can feel it. It's almost like my brain is like... I'm like, I'm done. <laughs> it's done working. So I yeah. can go veg out and do whatever I want. It's my me time off away, away from my brain. <laughs> so true. I mean, there's so many fascinating things about our brain. And I mean, and you study this like that we just don't know or don't understand. Mm-hmm. But the things that we do, it almost seems that we don't use them to our advantage. Yeah. It's true. And a lot of times we don't want to work that hard. I've had people say to me, well, when can I stop doing meditation? And it's like, (laughs) you want to stop? Like, you're not doing it right if you don't want to do it every day. You know what I mean? It's like, so brain science will tell you that absolutely you need to meditate every single day to reset the the balance in the body because we are a go, 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 overwhelmed, over in, in overstimulated you know, yeah, people, you know, and that's just how we live nowadays. Like, you know, we're constantly stuff is constantly coming at us. So you have to stop, you have to take a nap. But I think meditatively, once you go, there's a practice called yoga nidra that encourages you not to fall asleep, just to rest. So we need to learn how to rest. If you can do that without putting on a yoga nidra tape, fine. Take a rest, just sit there for like 15, 20 minutes. Yeah. Rest. Good places like, you know, Google and um, uh, it's escaped in me, like big companies are incorporating rest into the workday because they hmm. understand that overtaxing the brain doesn't always produce the best results. Yeah, overtaxing the body, you need to play, you need to do they have like ping pong tables in the workplace. And, you know, uh, it's just creating the, the balance. Yeah. And And when we were kids, and I don't think they do this anymore. But remember, when we were kids, like you would have Mm -hmm. nap time in school. Totally. Yeah, like I don't, I don't even remember my kids, my kids are 21. I don't remember them having a nap time or anything like that. Oh yeah, because so, yeah, so just go go go, and I I believe I was my kids were fortunate enough that they did only have half uh half day kindergarten at that time, but most kindergarten at a very young age they're full day, so they're go go go, absorbing yeah, all of that stuff at rapid speed all day long. I can't. I think if I was gone all that day at that young, I'd come home and probably have more than a few temper tantrums just out of sheer tiredness. 
Absolutely. And here's the reason why naps are super, super duper important for kiddos is because when, when babies are born, they have about 80% of their brain is fully developed. They're, you know, they're like creating new dendrites, like we have millions and millions of dendrites that they're like, you know, they're like dropping off and creating new ones Mm. and based on what they're learning. And so when they nap, that's when their brain grows. That's so the same for us when we so it's the same kind of thing, but so much more crucial and critical for babies. Yeah. So their sleep time is when their brains are developing and you want them to have that sleep time. So yeah. like when I hear it, when I hear a baby cry because they're tired, it's a completely different sound than when they're crying because they're upset because they can't move the yeah. world around, you know, like they want it to, I mean, or because they're hungry, it's completely different. And, you know, I think that we do the same thing as we get older, we get cranky, right? We get short with people. We get, we're easily triggered. Mm -hmm. We get called names, you know, like, oh, you know, you're, you're being a bitch. I'm fucking tired. (laughs) You know, that's really it. Like, and I, and I've taught my daughter by example, that, you know, if I'm tired, I call it out. And I encourage all parents to do this, to normalize yeah. having, you know, a, a range of feelings, a range of emotions. And you don't, you don't need to rage on your kid and scare the crap out of them, but you need to yeah. go, I'm, I'm really triggered right now. And I need some space for myself. I'm going to go in my room for five minutes. I'm going to put you in a yeah. safe place and go in my room for five minutes. You know, and that's setting the example for them to do that for themselves. Well, and it's giving them permission to have those emotions and to express and deal with them. Whereas you said it was the norm when we were growing up as Gen Xers out there. And it Mm -hmm. was the norm. Like you didn't cry. You didn't do this. And if you did, like, yeah, it just expressing your emotions. So, and I can definitely say that from experience, that was one thing I did throughout my life was like suppress my emotions up until I was probably into my thirties and you become very good at sort of wearing this mask and never letting anything like out, you know, so yeah. you're not really being true to yourself. I mean, the energy that it takes to just do that, not meant to mention the energy that's being blocked to allow good energy to flow And it was a big lesson for me in my thirties to let that stuff go, that it's okay to cry. It's not weakness. It's not this. It's just having an emotion and letting it pass instead of storing it and keeping it stuck. Well, yeah. And if you think about it, like from a brains or developments uh, standpoint, um, it's almost like you're cutting off that part of your brain from even growing. Like when, when you were asking earlier about how does that happen? How do, you know, like, what does that look like? So like, if you're doing something and a parent yells at you and you get scared, you don't ever want to do anything that makes a parent yell at you. So you try to do whatever they say. So you become almost intimidated, like in this tiny, Mm. tiny space of like, I don't want to upset the parent because I'll get yelled at and that'll make me scared. And then I won't feel safe. It really all comes down to how do we keep ourselves safe? And when our parents aren't doing that, when the parents are yelling at us, spanking us, 
hitting us, putting us in, in precarious situations where we don't feel safe, like not watching us the way that we should be, you know, yeah. like, and, and I think teachers have a big part to do with that, not just parents, but parents, yeah. daycare providers, teachers, anybody who is around us on a consistent basis. Yeah. Imagine like you have this really great life at home with your parents and you go to school and you have this kind of teacher with this underlying abuse situation mm -hmm. that she doesn't know how to address. I know back in the day when I was um, doing my practicum for child development, I um, sat as, you know, just an observer in, in a preschool and there was a teacher that was like, one of the kids, I guess, was not being quiet and the teacher was kicking the back of her chair, but in a way that was really aggressive. Huh. And then I saw her grab the child's arm and escort her to another room. And I don't know what happened then, but I, you know, I had to report it. I, I'm doing observation. And I spoke to the person who was running the program and she had said that, yeah, the teacher was struggling with some with some stuff and that yeah. they were working on her, they were working with her to get yeah. better, you know? And it's funny, like it made me think like, yeah, even teachers have triggers. Yeah, yeah. And they're dealing with stuff too and you have to have empathy for them. But at the same time, it's like, well, that's my kid. <laughs> you know, you Period, know, like, mama like, bear, I have empathy and compassion, but like, yeah, that's my kid. No, exactly. Because like I'm all about that. Like, mm, yeah. not my kid. Yeah. No, because no, it's no. like you said, we're all doing the best. I I, be I believe that most of us are doing the best that we can. Yes. In most given situations, with the toolkit that we have, and That's I think exactly right. What I would love for my kids is to give them a better toolkit. If that Period. makes sense, you know, like. I think that's how we grow as, as humans. And it's like, I feel in today's world, we're being, we're being told so many things that require critical thinking mm -hmm. and they're not even teaching critical thinking anymore. And some places are, but yeah, it's not in, yeah, in the public it's school not, system. Yeah. And I even see it sometimes with my kids. Now my kids are a little bit older and having me as a parent, I was always, promoting critical thinking well how do you do that well I don't know what do you think blah, blah, blah. you know and trying to do those things but it's a tough world out there and it's really hard to decipher truth from lies propaganda yeah. from um like like the whole gamut of it I could go on and on mm -hmm. and I think we really need to be more discerning than ever on the thoughts and information that we allow into our brain, no matter our age, like no matter our age, whether you're a little kid or you're a grown adult, like we are. And I do, I question everything I see, everything I hear. Well, I'm not sure if I believe that. Well, I'm not sure if I believe that. And, and it is questioning it so that we can make things right in this world and, and using that brain. But I think at some point we've got to shed off what we've learned to get those tools, if that makes sense. I think a shedding off is important because um, we don't have to do what other people do. What other mm -hmm. people, what's right for another person may not be right for us. Yes. We have to have an open mind and understand that same concept, but there's not like one right for everybody. 
You know, there's not Absolutely. like one way for everybody and there's not one truth for everybody. No. This I realized with kiddos, like I was in a situation with my kiddo where this kid was doing something. She and another, her best friend were having some kind of, you know, situation where her friend was reporting it back to her mom in one way. And my daughter was reporting it back to me in another way. And I, in my mind, I'm like, well, it sounds like this is what was happening. Cause I know my kid. Uh-huh. And the mom was like, everybody thinks they know their kid and like trying to make my daughter, you know, like the perpetrator or predator in a way. And I was like, my daughter is the predator. Like there was a mama bear part that I had to go, okay, just calm down. Let's look at this rationally. But I was not in a position to call another child a liar either. So let's just kind of meet in the middle and be like, my daughter was speaking her truth. Okay. She's telling me her truth. Her version of the truth is true to her. So it has to be true to me and the same for your daughter. So I'm not going to sit here and argue and make my daughter wrong or your daughter. Mm -hmm. We're just going to have to walk away going, both of them believe what they believe and not, not like kind of vilify either one of them. She wanted to vilify my daughter and make my daughter this big predator. And here she had sexual abuse in her history. So it shows you that the framework by which we perceive is is biased on our own experiences. It has to be. It's the way we're designed. So she's going to see every life experience through the lens of abuse. Does that make sense? It does. And can we can we work on our brains or our subconscious to stop thinking out of that lens and is that one of the things that the rtt does is help that's what i think we need we need to almost to me that's the goal is to stop looking at things out of this one lens and the one thing in the last several years what i've ended up asking not only of myself because i personally feel like we live in a very world of deep hypocrisy and i try to catch myself and believe me i catch myself more than not if I hear something or say something and I listen to somebody else, like, am I being hypocrite? And I do, I ask myself all this time, am I being hypocritical in this situation? I'm listening to you and I value your opinion and you have your own truth and based on blah, 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 and all this stuff. Now I'm going to say what I'm going to say, but is what I'm saying, is it being hypocritical of other things that I've said of other, you know, and I, it sounds like weird to talk about it like that. But believe it or not, I try to really catch myself doing that because when we are speaking in hypocritical terms, we don't get to the truth of things, Yeah, whether it's our own truth or things that we were told that there's not so many, that that there's not so much truth in. So that's definitely been my theme for the last couple of years is, am I being hypocritical? And listening to other people, are they being hypocritical? Are they talking out two sides of their mouth as well? Because for me, I can't decipher truth and make decisions that are going to benefit me and my family based on things that don't make sense. Because when you have a lot of hypocrisy, it doesn't make sense and it jumbles up your brain. And it's like, well, how can I feel this way about something? But then this action I'm doing is in complete opposite of this thing that I don't, you know what I mean? And it's so confusing how 
fragile our thoughts and the things that are around us go into it and how easily swayed we are in whatever direction that is. You have to keep in mind that we are human beings on a planet with, you know, a lot of, a lot of things that can hurt us, can damage us, are, you know, we are a fragile being in a world that, you know, there's a lot Mm -hmm. of potential harm. So at the root of everything, underlying all of that subconscious mind stuff that we're talking about is we, our whole being is rooted in our own physical survival. So Mm -hmm. at the base of that survival is we are like a collective. So we are, um, we want to bond with others. We want to connect with others. And in order to do that, we need to fit in. Okay. So this is another thing we talked about too. Like there's a period of our lives when it's, it's our full intention is to just fit in with everybody else. So we start to blend and look like, and think like, and act like everybody else because it's rooted in our survival. Yeah. Right. That is the deepest program we have, our own survival. So as we get older, we want to stand out more. We want to be more of ourselves. That's the kind of like, that's the vibration we start to, you know, kind of feel into. And so uh, that expression of who we truly are that separates us from the pack. Right. But again, it conflicts with our survival. Like, Mm -hmm. okay, am I going to do something that upsets the tribe, do something that I get ostracized for that, you know, what if I say something that other people don't believe and they cut me off, you know, or they don't want to talk to me anymore. That my friend is complete survivalism. Yeah. You want to survive. It's, it's a programming that overrides everything else. Mm. Just like when you're in a position and you're about to get hit by a tree, like your first instinct is to run. So you're by all of your brain activity goes goes to sleep and all of your intention goes to running everything in your body. Like, have you heard of people who lift up cars? Yeah. Yeah. My brother was one of those people, a car, my dad, my brother at like age 16 lifted the car up Mm. off my dad, saved my dad's life. Wow. Yeah. But it, it's like that kind of, that's underlying everything else. Mm. So that hypocrisy could come from, if I say my truth, they might not like it. And then I might not be can I might my I might not be safe. I might not be part of this tribe anymore. Does that resonate? I think it does because I think sometimes we knowingly are hypocritical in order to survive. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm at this place in my life where like I don't want to be a hypocrite to survive. I want to speak and live my truth, sort of damn be the consequences and i'm some crazy person but you know what i mean like i want to be truer to myself instead of portraying a version of me that isn't quite who i really am if that makes sense yeah like i first i like i i believe that like like and everybody just has the freedom to do and be what they want yeah and i think it's that hypocrisy that sort of stops us from being free to be who we want and then we get over hypocritical and then we want to tramp on other people's freedoms to be who they want to. But it's like, no, I just want to be free to be who I want. I don't want to take anybody else's. I don't want to shove my stuff down other people's throat. I just want to try to speak and say things and express myself in a way that I'm not contradicting myself on the other side in order to fit in, like you said, because it is 
a game of survival at at its core. So that's that I understand. And now we spoke about like the brain science of all that. Yeah. Now I would like to move into the intuitive and energetic mm, side because we both believe in that as well. <laughs> that's exactly right. And so the intuitive part of you wants to come through. It's dying to come through. It's its yes. job to come through. We're waiting for you to come through. Please come through. Yeah. All of us. All and, of us. And that's, other- and that's the reason for all this work, all the onion pe- peeling, all of the meditation, all of the RTT sessions, all of the energy sessions, whatever mm-hmm. it is that you're doing, all, all the stuff that you're nourishing your body with. Yeah, absolutely. That's right. And if you look at it in an energetic sense, it's almost like these energetic tentacles reaching mm-hmm. in to pull you through this, this part of it. They, It's like when they say, be yourself, you'll find your people, you know, be yourself, you'll find your perfect mate, be mm-hmm. more of yourself. Yeah. So we are constantly in the process of understanding what does that mean? I am myself all the time, you know, but really like, you're talking about it and like we all can understand or resonate with that like there's a part of me that I don't let out because I don't want to be ostracized I don't want people to see me a certain way women ancestrally I mean back to like centuries of being oppressed Mm -hmm. suppressed you know like burned at the stake for having these mystical prop you know mystical abilities you know which is essentially the intuition like Mm -hmm. living in an intentionally and intuitive way you know like now we're finally kind of coming into our own and we're all kind of coming up together so once we connect with other women who see that and understand that we can reach out to them for that kind of support energetically to be like i'm on i'm on this journey of really expansion yeah Yeah, it's like ascension and expansion yeah and and i absolutely love that and 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 you're you're so right we yeah <laughs> know where i was going with that but yeah <laughs> yeah and like it's like again like the onion you know it's another mm-hmm. layer to peel because when you think about it we talk about the universe as having yeah. just had this big bang and that everything just expands outward wouldn't we do the same isn't wouldn't yeah. our energy be compelled to do the same because they say we are stardust. We are made of stars. You know, we are atoms. We are like an atom that has a nucleus and, you know, neutrons Mm. around it or neurons neutrons. And what's what an atom like is comprised of 99% of it is air Mm. space. space. So 1% is solid material. Yet here I sit on a table, Mm -hmm. you know, at a table. Not falling apart. No, (laughs) And it's because the vibrational energy is keeping it together so tightly. Yes. And Um, even the way that we're communicating right now, we're communicating and I see you as a full person. You're not all broken up. And that's right with me and anybody watching this, this is how we're (laughs) viewing things right now. Am I in front of you? No, but yeah, the energy thing is such an interesting, fascinating part that I think often gets overlooked. Wow, you're just bending my mind and I want to speak yeah. about it because think about it. Yeah, I'm in front of you as this kind of floating image. Yes. And vice versa. So to me, it is you. And my mind has learned that yes. it is you. But it really is pixels, little yeah. pieces 
of information, right? That a computer has processed. So the computer is our brain and you are a manifestation of what I, what my computer believes to be is you. Yes. Same thing as our inner world versus our outer world. Our inner world, our mind is the computer and our inner world is what we desire and want. And then our outer world is a manifestation of that. Yeah. And this is the hardest thing for people to get around because, and I used to think this way too, um, I daydream all the time. I know what I want and I go straight for it. I just do. Uh, but wait, I didn't No, I didn't plan for that car accident. No, no, no. I didn't plan for this. And like you said, sometimes when you have an influx of just enough money, yep. all these bills come, all these other needs come. Like take I had to the take rest my car in. Yeah. I had to take my car in yesterday. It wasn't just what a hundred and something to do the normal maintenance. I also had to get registration. I had to get inspection. I had to get emissions and I had to get a few things. And it was 300 and some dollars. And I didn't go, oh my God. I didn't fight it. I just went, oh, here you go. Great. And then the grass on the way. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I said to myself because I saw myself go, oh, no, no, no. What am I going to do? And mm -mm, no, stop yeah. that thought and let in the thought that more is coming. I need generating yeah. more money. I'm generating more money. And, and the same thing like gratitude. Oh my gosh, I'm so glad I don't have to worry about this anymore. I'm so glad yeah. this is taken care of. And I'm and so glad it was there to pay you without yes. a problem. And I still have more. I'm so abundant yeah. right now, you know, and more is yeah. coming in. And, and I think, I think we're also trained. You just sort of sparked that in my head that we look at so many things on the outside world, but we very often look at our inside world, which is actually where all the action and the power and everything is, but yes, we are always looking externally yeah. for everything. But where the real, where the real freedom is, is inside. It's yeah. inside of all of us. And we so overlook it. And I'm realizing that so much more that meditation and being quiet, how can I make decisions that are from my intuition? How can I take inspired action without giving myself a moment to even look or listen for it inside? And I think that that's the biggest shift that I hope well, that's where we're all going is looking more inside and not in a selfish way, looking inside, but how is my external world going to shift unless it shifts in my internal world first? Exactly. And here's how is like the most important piece is again, going back to when we were babies and how we, our internal language was our emotions. That is it, period. So we need to start listening to our own internal language, which is our feelings. You're allowed yeah. to have feelings, a full spectrum of feelings. You're allowed to be angry. You're allowed to feel injustice. It's what you do with it afterwards that matters. It's how yeah. you take care of yourself around those feelings that you don't absorb them. You let them move through you. Oh, I'm yeah. so mad at that. I'm so upset that happened, but here's what I'm going to do. Critical thinking. Here's what I'm going to do to feel better again. 
Yes. Because feeling better is the goal. We talk about vibration, okay? The vibrational rainbow. I do this for my clients, a vibrational rainbow, okay? On the top of it is good feeling. It's joy. It's love. It's gratitude. On the bottom of the rainbow, the dense part is anger, mm. fear, frustration, you know? And we're not going to get up here zero to 60. We're not. There's no Maserati that's going to take you up here. You're going to have to go up incrementally so give yourself some grace give oh. yourself some love around it and go okay i was really mad but now i'm just kind of a little bit angry you know i'm just a little bit annoyed you know and you yeah. go from annoyed to just i'm slightly frustrated to i'm 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 uncomfortable okay yeah. to i'm gonna chill and watch a movie and now i'm comfortable and i'm grateful that i have this space and i created this space for myself so you have to be aware you have to have that kind of internal awareness and that mm -hmm. intention to take care of yourself yeah because the way energy works is we attract more of what we put out so if i'm like going out in the world like i'm mad then more people yeah i'm mad too and like we're gonna have this they're gonna <laughs> continue to keep that going yeah and that's why mob mentality type of thing is like a real thing it's and on the thing. other hand when it comes to creating wealth, um, living the life that we want to experience when the clearer we get on that by going internal with what really resonates, then the clearer we can feel and act on that inspired action that we get too. But when so much chaos is going on, I think it's hard to even get clear on the things that you really do want and how to get them because there's no inspired action coming there. You're just doing and being and reacting you know we're we're most of us and myself included like most of the time we're in reactive mode and it's stepping back from that reactive mode and being present tapping into our intuition getting clear on the things that we want to achieve realizing what we're doing that isn't working getting inspired action that will bring us to the thing that we want in the end but until we go inside mm-hmm because that inside, even though you say, oh, but I bumped into this person, but that was an internal, that was a something that happened internally that then manifested in our outside world. I was thinking about that person and then they called. That was the, the, That's you know, the action. So it's yeah. like, I was inspired to think about this person for whatever reason, maybe just to say hi, or maybe because they had some kind of news for me. But then the external thing is what happens on the edge, but it starts inside first. Yeah. And I'm and, really yeah. getting much more in tune with that myself. Well, and that's, I think, an example that everyone can relate to yeah. because who hasn't done that? Who hasn't? Yeah, most people have experienced that. Experienced that. Yeah, Absolutely. you get a text or whatever it is. So when you frame it like that, like it's that simple. Mm -hmm. I'm going to think of myself abundant and th that's all I'm going to think. Yeah. So I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to think of myself in lack anymore i'm not going to think like if i see myself doing that i'm going to stop myself and then reframe it with an abundant thought and then that way you start to move yourself mm -hmm. towards that you're yes. towards a, that's where a manifestation comes from and so you know we can't again do it from zero to 60 you're gonna yeah. it's gonna be incrementally like and an addressing negative thoughts addressing these looping, looping negative thoughts you're not gonna all of a sudden not do that anymore you're gonna it's yeah. a practice mm -hmm. it's like going to the gym lifting weights you're not yeah. gonna you're not a bodybuilder yeah, i'm not gonna session. do it overnight no exactly yeah exactly. 
Oh my God. Well, we had such an amazing conversation. Holy oh my cow. Gosh. We so like great. went all around. Um, but I really want is for people to take this seriously and do what inspired action it is on your own, whether it is maybe to reach out to Laurie and have some of this work yourself, because it is hard to go through this on your own and just doing it on your own. And if you really want to take that inspired action, maybe it's just booking a session with Laurie like I did. So why don't you give us all of the, your great information, which will be on the wealth within us, well, the wealth within dot us and on the description of the video that you are watching as well. We will make sure everything is there. So give us all the juicy details. All the juicy And I'm details. looking forward to my next session and I will keep everybody posted on that as well. I have a link tree. So it's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E uh, slash healing from within. Perfect. So that's where you can find everything. You'll find links to my Facebook page, links to my Instagram, uh, my bio, all my stories. And yeah. a link to my parent support page. Yeah. Awesome. And people can reach out to you for maybe a free consultation to learn a yes. little bit about, uh, to learn a little bit more. And if you're not local in the Lehigh Valley or the surrounding area, she is virtual and you can do it just like this Absolutely. because as we know, you don't have to be present to get Absolutely. an incredible amount of healing and resources and tools immediately. Yeah. Some of the most impactful sessions that I had on me while I was training were virtual ones. That's amazing. That's yeah. so awesome. Well, Lori, I Thank you so much. I definitely will have you back because I'm sure there's plenty more topics that we have not even uh, dove down. So I definitely want to have you back and please reach out to her. And until the next episode, thank you for watching The Wealth Within Us. Thank you.